The Neo Reality Entertainment brand expands with a relaunch of the Neo Reality Collective Pop Culture News Talk. Your host, Eric Brown, gives his insights and thoughts in the ever-expanding news world of comic books, professional wrestling, gaming, TV, and movies. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa. Today's edition of Neo Reality Collective is brought to you by Anchor.fm, a free distribution service podcasting hosting platform that allows you to record your podcast on your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so much more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor.fm app or go to Anchor.fm to get started today. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to Neo Reality Collective. We are back after an extended hiatus from both the episodic episodes and the reviews. We're back. We're here to talk about the next milestone we've done. Episode 30 of the official episode count while everything else has been bonus episodes. And we're going to talk about some subjects, three subjects in particular to commemorate the 30. <laughs> One is that we're going to spend this first portion of the, of the segment talking about Portal X-Men, which is coming out this week at this time of this podcast, as on March 30th. So, this book is going to be about the Quiet Council and some other major players within the Krakoan X-Men Society era, like Selina. I'm pretty sure I butchered that name. Yeah, I haven't used that wording in a while since I've been working on my YouTube stuff on wrestling. So, Karen Gillian, who is who once written Uncanny X-Men during during the forgotten time, so to speak, and when I looked it up, he was apparently one of the reasons Mrs. Sinister became, well, the way he did. Uh, flamboyantly insane! Ah, uh, he's funny. So, <clears throat> as is series was progressing throughout the entire Krakoan X-Men era, when Hickman was spearheading everything, Hickman was stepping down after after the events of Infer- Inferno, and he would leave and go do something else with Moon Knight. And then he'll probably leave Marvel and probably do some image comics works, and then wait till DC Comics uh, calls him on the phone and says, hey, we need you for Justice League. Probably. Or another character. And like, really, Jonathan Hickman did say that out of all the big projects left, the only ones left are DC after he just did the X-Men. So, yeah. Anything else is just filler arc for him in Marvel. So, yeah. Karen Garlian has also been working on The Eternals, which is a comic series I've been keeping track of, and is going to be doing the event comic, also known as the fifth event of this year, I believe. Avengers X-Men Eternals Judgment Day, which will basically be retconning the mutants to be an excess form of deviation, which means the Eternals now have a reason to kill everybody. And they're led by Thanos, so definitely that's not going to be a problem. 
So, I wanted to talk a little bit about Immortal X-Men. I, out of all the Krakoan era X-Men books of the Destiny of X saga, I was always wondering, why isn't the Immortal X-Men, why isn't the Quiet Council given their own series? Like, wouldn't what's going on there be kind of interesting to do a book? Wouldn't Hickman have done that? Apparently, Immortal X-Men was the original name for Inferno, apparently. I, I'm not 100% certain on that. I just kept hearing that. Apparently, that was the rumored title at the time before, well, Marvel told him we, we want to change it to Inferno and make references. So, yeah. But it would have been interesting if they did kind of, kind of retconned it a bit to make Immortal X-Men be the first four issues of Inferno, then take a break, and then continue on and continue as chapter five of this big saga Kieran Gillian being the next writer for it but I'm not a business executive so I probably got everything wrong so Kieran Gillian had worked on Eternals has been been spending the past couple years after his time with Marvel first time stint where he was focusing on creative own comics called Die with artist and co-creator Stephanie Hans which revolved around a group of Dungeons and Dragons players who, where, whose games become all too real. And Gillian plans on bringing some of that element he's been doing with his independent comics to his new Marvel work. Saying in an interview on Entertainment Weekly, I spent my last few years predominantly doing my own creative own stuff, stuff like Die and The End of the Wicked and Divine. So now it's going, okay, what techniques are useful to a Marvel book? So Eternals is taking a lot of the deep research and Tolkien-style world-building stuff I learned from Die and applying it at Marvel. As a creator, every piece of work feeds into the next. Okay, I've learned this. I failed here. What can I do better? So yeah, Die's absolutely influenced some, some of this stuff. After all, Die is a group of people pushing and pulling against each other. One thing, Die balances ensemble cast by having most issues focus on one character in particular. And accordingly, Immortal X-Men will do the same when it comes to the mutant, mutant members of the Quiet Council. So who are the mutants who will be pushing and pulling against each other? Entertainment Weekly spoke with Gillian about his plans for the various members of the Quiet Council, which features some previews, uh, unlettered ones, featuring um, the Magneto and Emma Frost arguing, over something because issue one is set to be a big deal because yeah so after the events of Inferno and after the events of 10 lives 10 deaths of Wolverine Magneto is like well I'm done I got nothing left to do I'm gonna go to Mars everybody see ya I hate you all yeah we won't know until the issue actually comes out why he's stepping down, but it's clearly obvious they were planting the seeds for an Inferno, where Magneto was now starting to doubt this plan to you know to save mutant kind bit by bit. So yeah, and Jonathan Hickman. And Gillian even said that he's doing some meta commentary here where he's describing Jonathan Hickman as Magneto and the X office as his brotherhood of mutants trying to fight for a better way of comics existing. Of course, my series starts off with Magneto leaving the Quiet Council. It's not deliberately meta that bit, but it certainly works. So Hickman says he didn't get all pissed off about what happened. Then he does 
shot, so to speak, on issue one of Inferno. And now they're going to be blatantly on the nose with Immortal X-Men. So yeah, the first order of business will be figuring out who will replace Magneto, the master of magnetism in government. So yeah, Immortal X-Men is said to be a high-stakes political-like thriller. Like, they even said, like, there is that Secession vibes and HBO series going on. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, I never watched, watched Secession, but when I did see some of the info about it when I saw this when I saw this interview and whatnot, I looked it up and then I was like yeah th this kind of makes sense like you got all these heirs to this powerful cl clandestine corporation and the one percent of the one percent arguing and pulling for power it makes sense where they're going for with this it's just that it involves mutants and it's probably gonna end with someone getting killed and exiled to the pit so Mr. Sinister, you're screwed. And Gillian even says, I like Machiavellian characters with plans. I haven't watched Succession when I started writing Immortal, but Succession has a lot of Immortal in it. I love to do a homage cover from behind Magneto's chair. Well, uh, you could have done that with Mark Brooks, but he's gonna do the cover art, which is awesome. So that means I get to buy every regular comic, especially the thumbnail comic that features Emma Frost in, in a giant red blanket. That's from issue four. So you gotta wait three more months before you can get that issue, you perfect fans. But yeah, Mark Brooks's artwork as the cover artist for this, this is awesome. And I see uh, he wants to do like 40 issues of this, of combined it, of this X-Men run he's doing. And Mark Brooks doing the Immortal X-Men stuff is really good, especially when you get that vibe of the political apparatus going on in this stuff. So yeah, I think he was a good choice to be the cover artist. The artist for the book, however, is Lucas. I'm trying to pronounce the other, his last name, but I can't. I tried everything. Lucas Rennick, I think. Well, he did the Trial of Magneto because that was a good start. Uh, yeah. That, that. So the Trial of Magneto was his start in the X-Men era of Krakoa. And that did not end so good as it should have been. It should have just been like two issues long. We're I'm pretty sure if Magneto and Emma Frost are arguing, I wouldn't be surprised if Magneto mentions that he knows that Emma Frost threatened uh, his daughter, he considers a daughter at least, Scarlet Witch. Yeah, that, that probably will end badly if Magneto ever found out. So speaking of Emma Frost, she's going to be making power plays in this after Xavier and Magneto brought her into the secret of Moran Metagrit, which did not at all end badly. Emma Frost revealed the truth to the entire Quiet Council, thus depriving those two of their advantage in secret knowledge. Gillian's saying, Emma's a character I've always loved and she's so driven right now. And she's also said to do the Hellfire Gala, which I'm certain is not going to be a very important thing for me, at least. I, I mean, it'd be just insane if I was one of sweepstakes or anything. I could be wrong. I'll let you know. Um, Emma is eager to continue shaping the future of Krakoa right now, and we will soon be hosting her second annual Hellfire Gala. 
saying, Gillian says, if I was in charge of a country, I would put a music festival with two huge stages at the end of each of the pitch, at each end of a pitch. I think everyone would understand that though her own, through her own filter. What's the point of ruling a country if you can't have parties, darling? And we get more flashback sequences with Destiny and Mystique, and yeah, the crazy killer women who also are madly in love for each other. He also says that for Immortal X-Men, for me, is this love story between two women across time. So, yeah. And also saying that Destiny is Mystique's moral compass, he says, is too simple because that implies that morals are important. But she's the object of Mystique's ornates herself around, that's how I see it. She is of a fundamental importance to Mystique and vice versa. I mean, like, I mean... Destiny told Mystique, hey, uh, I know there's going to be this massive hope for mutant kind on this big island we're going to do, and we don't know how long it's going to last, but uh, if anything goes wrong and I can't come back, I want you to burn it down for me in my name, right? Okay, thank you. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mr. Sister... Yeah, the guy Gillian invent reinvented from the classic mad scientist into the campy funny character who nonetheless retains the ability to terrify, and that Hickman reintroduced with and writer Zeb Wells took further in Hellions. <laughs> yeah, that was okay, Mr. Sturzer was the best thing for that. Jonathan even has said he saw himself as looking after Mr. Sinister while he was while Gillian was away. I say Sins is one of the lead characters, but one of the concepts I'm trying to do each issue is focus on a different character. The first issue is Stroll strongly sinister. He's such a defined character, he comes on strong, but I want to move around this quiet council. Gillian Katie saying a really useful technique in comics is going, okay, let's do a focus issue where we see what this person thinks about everyone else, especially if you're doing a politics book. You know this person hates you, hates that person, but they're not giving it away. There's a bit of an issue one where Sinister reveals he's petrified of Exodus, his secret love interest in life, and clearly is madly in love with him. I say that as a joke, but mostly because of the banter they both give off of each other. Like, like Exodus is like, oh my god, I want to kill this guy, but I'm so can't do it. Well, as Mr. Sinister is like, hmm, this man is trying to upstage me with his fashion wear. I must prepare my vengeance. He's just funny. It's just a funny, funny friendship of sorts. But yeah, Sister is apparently petrified of Exodus. That's not something you'll know anywhere else because Sister's not going to let him know that because that would ruin the relationship dynamic between them. It's not as simple as he stitches from someone's perspective, but they'll have, but they'll be who we focus on. Of Exodus, his main role so far has been acting as a foil to Sister, and that's not their only connection. According to Gillian, he saying this, I view Exodus the same way I view Sinister the last time I came on the Xbox. He's a character who I feel is underdeveloped and could do a, with a strong spin. So I'm doing a strong spin on Exodus, I think. Part of that spin is with religion, because unlike most unlike many mutants, uh, Exodus is a true believer, having once been a knight from the, from the Crusades who was, who was made immortal by the mutant apocalypse. So you know, Apocalypse is at fault for this. And since he's from a knight from the Crusades period, that means he is willing to kill for his religious beliefs. Curse you, meta commentary. So he's saying, Gillian says he's Catholic. I was raised Catholic, so my Catholicism isn't all is all over the place. I like how he has his own warped mutant take on Catholicism. I'm not. I am not sure how far deep I'll go into that concept of. 
event cheese and stuff, but I might. Exodus is about the weirdness of being a believer. Okay, I, I just have one important question. This is kind of important. Why wasn't he in Way of X now that I'm thinking about it? No, seriously, I want to know. Why was he not in Way of X? Wouldn't that, like, make real sense to have him in Way of X and contend with Nightcrawler over the religious aspect? Especially where Nightcrawler says in X-Men issue 7, I believe, where he says, I'm going to form a mutant religion. Because, you know, that's not going to be all cultist-like or anything. Yeah, why, why wasn't he involved in this since Nightcrawler and him are both religious characters? And wouldn't it make sense to have Exodus and Nightcrawler kind of interact off of each other over the religious aspects of in Way of X? Like, they'll probably have a chance in Legion of X, uh, the sequel to Way of X and everything. Meanwhile, Professor X. Yeah, he's kind of screwed. Like... His best friend just ditched him and left him for to the wolves and was like, I'm going to Mars! Yeah, he, he's moving to X-Men Red, so he's going to be on Mars. He's going to face bodily torture by Taron the Uncaring. Professor X and Magneto being the two founding fathers, so to speak, and their, and their romance. Uh, Eric, Eric, aka Magneto, has left the government, and Charles Xavier now is in a very difficult position politically. So Gillian says, I feel sorry for Xavier the same way I feel sorry for Loki. I did the whole journey into mystery book about how awful it would be to be Loki. Xavier's in this weird position where the book's named after him, but he's never been the lead character, really. That, the, that greatness is key to Xavier. I'm trying to think of him not as a father figure, but as a son. I'm trying to write Xavier as a person, as opposed to somebody who has failed other people while building on everything else at the same time. Yeah, that definitely won't end badly, right? Also, there is now an option for who will take over the seat of Magneto and another immortal character, Selina, who has been not in this soul saga so far. In fact, I, in fact, if I recall correctly, when I was when I was recalling this, and I saw people saying this in the comments in these interviews, they kept saying, "Wait, wasn't she sent to the pit because she's well, she killed." she murdered in person in the Captain America books. I'm not sure what happened on that. I hope they explained to it. But, okay. So, Gillian says, we're talking about, about how the X-Men are now immortal, but some of them already have been. But compare and contrast with that is really cool to me. So that was the end of the interview. So, yeah, I've always wanted to see more of the Quiet Council. Uh interact off of each other with their clandestine plans and Machiavellian schemes and with Inferno having a teaser variant that shows Sinister being sent to the pit yeah that's probably gonna end very 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 badly for him especially in Hellions where they teased they were gonna do stuff with Sinister where they called Sinister a cancer Magneto and Emma Frost so they were agreeing on something and then they broke up on their agreements so get ready for that drama and whatever entails from that Yep. But yeah. Selena looks like she's gonna try and petition. There is another character that wasn't mentioned, but they really should he should have brought this up. Regarding the member of De in the Destiny of X teasers, there was if I recall correctly from the teaser variants, let's take a look. Uh 
I think it was Rachel Summers. Let's take a look. Um, let's see. She's part. Uh, she is part of the five. I do know that. Uh, let's see. Oh no, I'm, I'm looking at someone else. Uh, no, not Rachel Summers. Someone else. Hope Summers, yeah, that's her. Not Rachel Summers. There, they have a teaser out where they hinted that she was going to take over Magneto's position on the Quiet Council, and even Avengers and Avengers X Men Eternals Judgment Day event. There's some previews that came out that shows her being killed while sitting in the Quiet Council chair. So there's a there's highly a likability that she is going to be replacing Magneto and not Selena. And even in issue two of Immortal X-Men, Selena is attacking Exodus and the rest of the X Immortal X-Men. So think of that what you will. Huh, that's going to be bad. But yeah, I, I'm a little amazed Hickman very little focused on the Quiet Council in terms of his X-Men run up until right before Inferno. It would have been so fascinating to see how he would have written them because the way he's like besides the stuff with Xavier, Magneto, and and Mystique over the Destiny crisis, you could say that was a kind of a sampling of the Quiet Council interactions and the secret plans they have in store. But I always just wanted to see, man, would it have been cool to see the X-Men, Immortal X-Men, be written by Hickman and he does all this clandestine politics, especially since he wrote the Illuminati for a time. And that was ending badly. And I'm like, the last time they, he wrote them, he wrote he wrote a Crisis in Infinite Earths-like event, except it's not with, with antimatter, it's with other Earths colliding into another. That was bad days for everybody. But don't worry, Marvel retconned it out of existence, and no one remembers it save for like probably like four to six different characters, and they're all on the same team. So, okay, think of that what you will. But we're gonna go on break now. Enjoy this ad, and we'll stay tuned for the last portion of this video of this podcast. Uh, this was Neo Reality Collective signing off for now, and we'll be back after these messages. Back everyone for this final portion of Neo Reality Collective, and we're gonna get a little somber note here. Triple H on an interview with Stephen A. Smith that aired on Friday's episodes of First Take. Triple H announced that he has officially retired from the wrestling world. He will never have another match following his serious cardiac event. Saying in an ESPN interview with Stephen A. Smith on first take, he said, for me, as far as in-ring, which I get a lot, I'm done. I won't, I would never wrestle again. First, I have a defibrillator in my chest, which is probably not a good idea for me to get zapped on live TV. The interview is the first for Triple H since his health problems took him out of the public eye last fall, and then Vince pretty much fired him in all but name. In spirit, basically, Steve, Stephen A. Smith's full interview premiered later that night, but that was the biggest talking point that was going on earlier in the day. So, going ahead and doing a tell-all, which, which apparently suffered a cardiac event caused by a genetic heart issue. 
saying I had viral pneumonia, my lungs were inflamed. As the next couple of days went on, I got home, it got increasingly worse, and my wife saw some blood and stuff, and that I was coughing up. I went, I got checked, and it was coming from viral pneumonia. Alright, I had fluid in my lungs, I had some fluid around my heart, so they followed up on it, did an EKG and an echo and everything, and basically, the way your heart pumps 55 to 65% of your ejection fracture is a good number. I was at 30, and I got a quick text message saying, don't take time, pack your bag real quick, head to the emergency room, I'll fill you in on the way. So by the time I got into my emergency room, my ejection fracture had gone down to 22, which I was in heart failure, bad. By the next morning, as they figured out that out that the evening, by the next morning, as they got the MRI done, they were sending me into the heart check cath. My ejection fracture was down to 12. So I was no sighting and storm at a one yard line where you want to be or where you don't want to be really for your family or your future. They tell you it's 99%, it gets real. We have three young girls, 15, 13, 11. You know, I suddenly, I come home, I'm a little bit sick, and their dad, who's strong, always suddenly is in the hospital. I don't know if they understood the consequences of it, but there's moments in there where, when they're putting you out on this, on this for stuff, and you think, is this it? Do you wake up from this? That's tough to swallow, it makes you think. Trivialist has done some work over WWE work over recent months. He toured the new headquarters facility in Stanford along with other executives in November, where he has not returned to daily workload that he had before. As for this past January, there were reportedly no plans for Trivialist to return to running the NXT brand. Shawn Michaels was seeing it since the start of Trivialist's medical leave. Trivialist's last match was on June 29, 2019. He tagged with Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, in a win over Robert Roode and Samoa Joe at a non-televised event in Tokyo, Japan. J Triple H's last televised official match was against Orton at Super Showdown pay-per-view in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, June 7, 2019. And if you want to count his his little brawl with Orton on Raw, you can. Either way, his last match was with Randy Orton, so that take it for that what you will on TV. So when I heard this. I'm sad for him that he didn't get to end the career the way he envisioned it. Like, he apparently had said in the interview that he also had planned, he had an idea to do one big farewell tour, and he would go ahead and fight for the world title one last time, and ultimately fail at it, and then call it a day, go back into the boardroom, and whatnot. But, yeah. Uh, there's also bugged me a little bit, not because he had to retire, like, that was for the best, obviously, it's just <laughs> the dismantling of NXT happened after his cardiac event, so I don't want to say it, but Vince recently up Vince and WWE approved of a new shirt that has Vince as the devil for some reason. And I'm pretty sure Bray Wyatt should sue somehow, but I'm pretty sure he can and he'll lose even if he tried. So take it that what you will. And the fact that it's always been suggested there's been an issue between Vince and Triple H backstage over the creative direction of WWE, and then after he gets his cardiac event, then the big dismantling of NXT starts, he starts firing everybody, where Triple H can't do a thing about it. It just come that came off as such a very warped, dark viewpoint of everything. It, it just was very dark for me. It bugged me that it gave me this vibe that was Vince using cardiac event for Triple H to get rid of all his stuff? 
because now he couldn't protect his stuff. But yeah, that, that's just a theory I have. It just seems very timely and very bad timing. So yeah. But yeah, um, I do congrats Triple H from his successful career, even though there are very bad moments in this and, and what he did do with political behind the scenes in WWE. But yeah, it it was it's a, it's a long career. He had a long career. He'll probably be in the Hall of Fame induction next year. He'll probably be a leading class. We'll have to see. But especially when when after we had just lost Scott Hall, may he rest in peace. It was, it was scary to hear what could have been months prior. It would have been messed up for a lot of people, especially me. Like I, I would have probably, I would have probably, I likely would have felt the same way I felt about Brody. Like I hear it and then I'm just like, it's shocked for 10 minutes and I just couldn't think of anything. And yeah. So, one last piece of news to commemorate this 30th episode is three segments. Uh, the Batman. Big success, critically acclaimed, high revenue money making stuff. Once again, oversaturating Batman market in the Batman market. Of course. And the comics are, are going to have a field day with it. But they release a highly anticipated deleted scene that got uploaded on the internet while the movie's still in theaters. It is Batman interrogating an unofficially credited as an unnamed Arkham prisoner who is the Joker. And my effing God. So, apparently this is not Joker fully Joker-like yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the Joker right now. Like, oh god. So, remember how the Joker in the Dark Knight was, had his mouth cut open into a permanent smile? Okay, basically they said, okay, we can make that, but make him like he had, like he had radioactive therapy, dumped into a radiation pit, turned into, lost all his hair, and was beaten and mangled by a very angry Batman. And then, then pulled on his hair and ripped it more off, and now he's, like, wrecked. Reeves confirmed to IGN that he is, in fact, a proto-Joker. While it may not be an origin story for the title character, it is for the Dark Knight, but it, the Batman may not be the origin story for the title character, but it is, the Dark Knight's, it is for the Dark Knight's most infamous villain. So, yeah, we do see the Joker somewhat, spoilers, is in the movie, he's talking with Paul Dano's Riddler, and, and who is held in a neighboring cell at Arkham State Hospital, as it appears to be named here, as opposed to Asylum. Probably because legality-wise, it would have been horrible to call it that. In this universe, through their cell bars, Riddler interacts with the strange fellow inmate who is framed largely in shadow, but whose rictus grid and green-tinged hair are just are undeniable. The unnamed prisoner tries to cheer up Riddler, who is despondent, over what happened in the movie and saying one day you're on top 
the next day, New York. And saying and telling Riddler that Gotham was a comeback story. The prisoner then delivers what is Riddler's signature lie, saying, Riddle me this. When asking a riddle who's answered, he answers correctly as a friend. As they both cackle away as a bond forged between them. So I'm pretty sure that's not gonna end horribly, 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 horribly wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that scene was pretty gruesome when I saw it. It was ha it was basically Hannibal Lecter in the Silence of the Lambs, where you have to find the find this other killer, and you have to use a killer to get the information out. But yeah, this Joker we got was mangled, beaten, d like he was sick, so sickly. Like I don't want to say he had cancer. He had like he was going through chemotherapy to treat cancer, like the effects of chemotherapy and the hair loss. It was brutal. And yeah. I'm not saying we want the Joker as the next sequel villain. I kind of want something different. I, in fact, I would have been preferable if they just did not show the Joker at all in this and kept him right as the final villain of the story in this trilogy they had planned. I don't know if this is going to be full-blown shared universe stuff yet, but I kind of wanted something else. Like, we got something different. We got the Riddler, who was originally supposed to be the next Gotham villain for uh, for the Dark Knight trilogy. But, and it was apparently good. He was going to be played by Leonardo DiCaprio, which would have been kind of awesome. And he probably would have gotten a cameo award for that because, hey, he was denied that for so long. But... I kind of want something new, another villain, like we could do Hush, though Hush's story works more because of all the villains he used in this stuff, and you would have to like establish like 20 different people. Yeah, but I mean, that's a lot of Rose Gallery characters, doesn't he? And we did Rachel Al Ghul, Tally Al Ghul, sort of on that front. We didn't go into the full deep dive of Rachel Al Ghul, we could probably do that again. Like. The Batman's main actor, uh, Edward, I know, I know, but he, yeah, that's the vibe I'm getting, he goes, he wants to say, I want to fight the Court of Owls next. Uh, we could also get the Penguin, uh, that hasn't been done since the Batman's second big movie, which was Batman Returns. Was he returning from again? Okay, whatever. But, yeah. It is going to be interesting what the next movie is going to be about, or if this is going to be like the Batman fighting all these different villains through some movies, and then it's going to eventually culminate in the villains in Arkham teaming up to take down the Batman. Like, I'm hoping they establish the Robins and whatnot, like, try to do something different with this. Like, we haven't had a Robin in a movie since Batman Forever. That was not a good start when you look back on it, but okay, take it what you will on that. As artist, movies are subjective and art is subjective. But, and no, we, we're not counting the one we got in The Dark Knight Returns. That was just more like a, eh, I'm not gonna bring Robin into this, but okay, I'll just reference it a little bit. But, 
yeah. It, it's going to be an interesting time to see where it comes next for the Batman in this new Batman trilogy we're getting from Matt Reeves. I'm looking forward to it, hopefully, and hopefully for a lot of great stuff out of it and something new and different out with the Batman mythos, with, with you know, the whole Joker risk d dynamic because Joker is both Batman's most famous villain and also his poison when it comes to it. Like, like remember Scott Snyder? He had his run going and then people started getting mixed about it when the whole uh, Joker stuff started coming in. James Tynion's first run on Batman, the main title, was was the Joker. Even when they tried to hint they were going to do something different, but then they just said, nope, we're going to have it be real. There was the Joker the whole time, making the Joker War actually a near 20-part event in one comic. Man, that's crazy, isn't it? So, yeah, we'll have to see where it goes from here, but let us I'm hoping for the best, and I do plan to watch the movie down the road and, you know, watch all the spectacle epicness about it. But, yeah. Near Reality Collective wants to thank you all for being here for over 30 episodes on this second on this revival series. The original series was on my Near Reality Entertainment channel, which lasted for about a total of officially... 46 episodes and thus making this technically episode 76 with some bonus material such as my interview with Steve Orlando which I'm still grateful to have landed and I'm hoping to get more people to interview down the road but that depends on how things go but we'll have to see on that but I want to thank you all for tuning in and I'm looking forward to doing this again more I just need to take a break since I was focusing more on my YouTube content on wrestling channels. And then I did a small little essay video of sorts, an experiment on Neo Reality Collective on the YouTube channel, which is only exclusive to YouTube for the moment. I don't know what's going to happen. That's just a pilot test on something I might try and do with something down the road, but we'll have to see. Uh, tune in next time as we'll finally come back with a Neo Reality Collective reviews focusing on the Immortal X-Men. Stay tuned for this final, final ad break and our outro. Take care. Be sure to donate to the brand and keep up to date with additional content on YouTube channels such as Neo Reality Entertainment, NRE The Wrestleverse, and NRE Pop Culture Omniversa.